They say love is patient, they say love is kind Marriage on the other hand takes those things plus wide Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart Being married to a human is a science and an art Hey Katie! Hey Lauren! How are you? Uh, I'm great. I've missed you. I've missed you, too. It is a cozy night here in Camp Hill, PA. It's, we have snow all over the ground. Snow that um, made me miss Orange Theory, unfortunately. But, oh, wow. Um, it's still cozy. And I'm talking to my favorite person on the on the phone, on the computer. So yeah. life couldn't be better. Yeah. You know what? Things really going with is. you. Yeah. I mean, life's life's uh, life, you know. Life We're, could be better on your end. <laughs> life, yeah, you know, it's all good. It's just, you know, just the 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 intricacies of living and all the things that that entails. But the day to day stresses of being a human. <laughs> yes, it's, it's exactly. I hear some ice clinking around in your glass. Are you drinking? Something oh delicious? man. I'm self-conscious that you can hear that, but yes, I am. Um, I am drinking. I like it. I find it soothing. Oh, thanks. Um, my parents are coming to visit this weekend and my parents are quite the drinkers and so my husband uh stocked the bar this week and um I'm so I'm drinking a cocktail which I normally don't get to have tasty cocktails but I'm drinking a gin and Saint Germain with a squeeze of lemon Ooh, yum yeah so this is a strong cocktail I'll be having one exactly (laughs) excellent excellent yeah Mark asked me what else I put in it and I was like well the ice is gonna melt yes (laughs) so uh what are you drinking um, well, this is in honor of Gemma. I went to the grocery store to look for some Portland or West Coast or just not Sierra Nevada beers, and I didn't find any. Gotta get Wester. Pre- yeah, I didn't go to the best grocery store. I went to the one that was on the same side of the streets as street as the uh, the Mo's that we were eating at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, at mm-hmm. which we were eating. So your options were limited. My options were limited, but I did pick up a Stone IPA which is, well, this particular one was bottled at the Stone in Richmond. So, hey, I think it's a step up. Progress, not achievement, you know? I completely agree. And you know what? That just made made me think about how much of my choices are just based on convenience. And so the reason that I drink bad beer is because that's the only kind of beer that is available to me in the places that I go regularly. Right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. It's not like I like drinking bad beer. No, no, no. Given my preference, I'd rather waste my calories on something that tastes good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Not that I'm endorsing diet culture. That was problematic. But right. like if I'm going to be, if you know, if I'm going to be bulking up what I'm eating during the day, I don't want it to be something I don't like. So. Exactly. And I think ultimately it just comes down to we just need to make those those better beer choices or better drink choices just available to us. Make those the convenient choices. That's what right. Christian Rubin would say. The problem is out there. It's not with me. It's within the system, the beer system. So. That's exactly right. <laughs> I don't take any accountability for my bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of beer, this is a strange segue. Lane doesn't really like, well, she kind of likes, I don't know, Lane, you can tell us what kind of beer you like. Speaking of she beer, let's beer. transition to somebody with whom we've drank beer before. <laughs> yes, right. Lane does not like wine, but she does like beer. And Lane also wrote in this week with a great question. Well, yay, we have another listener question. Yeah, These she, are our favorites. Yeah, we really did. So this came to us via Marco Polo, and so I'm just going to paraphrase it because it's a little hard. What's Marco Polo? It is an app, um, an application, 
that you can download. Okay. So, okay. An application, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. Go no, ahead. Read right. the question. It's sort of like um, Snapchat, but you keep all your videos. It's like a little bit more mature than Snapchat. Like mature, like after dark, or mature like oh, the people on it. Good question. Good, good um, delineation. It is ma- more mature, like the people on it. Like you probably wouldn't send mm. like naked pictures because because okay. they stay like the little video message just stays in your little like voice mailbox thing. I gotcha. Okay, so it doesn't disappear okay. like Snapchat, but it is a Excellent. video. So if anybody wants to Marco Polo us a question, they can Marco Polo Lauren. Yeah, uh, you yeah. definitely can. Although don't because then I just have to transcribe it, and I'm probably not going to say what you meant as, as well as you did. So, All right, well let's give it a go. Okay, so Lane's question boils down to this. What qualities were important to us in dating, or what were we seeking when we were dating? So what kind of qualities were we seeking in a partner while we were dating, versus what has turned out to be important in marriage? I am obsessed with this question. I am too. I actually got, I questioned Caitlin about this, because uh, I thought it was, well, first of all, Kate, Lane is Caitlin's best friend, so I thought it'd be really important that she hear her answer. Yes. <laughs> and Caitlin kind of like pushed off the question, not pushed off, she was really wanted to consider it, like deeply think about it. And what she came up with was Deferred actually, the question. She deferred. I called her from the other room when I sat down to podcast tonight, and I was like, okay, I'm about to podcast, I need to know what you're going to say. She was like, okay, so here's what I came up with. When I was dating, I, she, Caitlin is very much a caretaker, you can see that even in her um, professional uh, realm. She's mm-hmm. like a medical professional, like healer type person. She loves to take care of people. And she thought that she just needed appreciation for that uh, in a relationship because she likes to do it. She likes to take care of people. But she said in marriage, she has realized how important it is to have somebody who also takes care of you, which I think is a really interesting perspective mm. for those people who are like fall in that like caretaking category. Right. Yeah. That is a really interesting perspective. Are you, you're a little bit of a caretaker too, though. Yes, and that's why she said she like didn't realize it until she was married how much she needed. Because it. she lo- that's so that's so good of her that she's able to submit in that way. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I think a lot of times people that are caretakers are like um, have a very hard time being cared for. Yeah. And, it's, and she I does. think that, that speaks highly of her cuz it, it's not martyry, you know. Yeah. She does have a hard time um I think letting or like accepting care sometimes, mm-hmm. but I think I fight hard and like I think it's a it balances out in a way that that ends up working. And I think she's become like in the time that we've been married, she's become more and more open to the idea that I can take care of her and things for her. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Um, I think the biggest thing I've noticed just in marrying Caitlin. Caitlin is, in many ways, I feel like my exact perfect balance. Like, she's the exact right match for me. And so many of the things that I enjoy about her are not things I ever would have thought to, like, write down on a list of things I want in my my life partner. Mm -hmm. Which is, I I don't know, do you feel that way? Um, I think that if I was less edgy that I would be able to see Mark as a really perfect match for me because he balances me in a lot of ways but I'm also very like rebellious and like not willing to soften to that Um, or I'm resistant to softening to that I guess so and I guess rebellious is not the right word but I'm like I know what you mean yeah I worked hard to I worked hard to earn my independence and I still even in marriage struggle to relinquish some of it 
I think. Um, but I see that the things that I would have written down on a list, yeah, the things that I that I value about Mark right now that I love that I love about being married to him have almost nothing to do with like what I would have thought of before. Like yeah. Mark is not at all on. I could have put you. I could have guaranteed you at the top of the list. Um, before I met Mark would have been like creative, like a creative yeah. type, like an artist of some sort. And Mark right. is like not an artist. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Appreciates yeah. art, not an artist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, I, I think I feel the same way. I feel like I would have put things on a list that I, that are more kind of reflective of things I want for myself. You know, mm-hmm. like I would have wanted, um, somebody who's very like adventurous seeking to help bring that out in myself somebody who's like incredibly social to help bring out like my own social um like those are things I think I would have written down on a list but what has turned out to be incredibly important in my marriage is um I think I can sum it up by just using the word gentle mm-hmm. and Caitlin's incredibly gentle with me and I don't think that's something I recognized that I needed before because I also thought of myself as tough and like I thought I could take um tough love yeah and and I have been guilty of like dishing out tough love in situations where it's not necessary in my relationship yeah Um, I think because I do that with kids all day like I'm very real with my students and so then I come home and try to just solve the problem right away with my spouse and that Uh doesn't that doesn't actually that's not the way you should go about solving problems and Caitlin is isn't it so tough how relationships are different (laughs) isn't that so awful right right like the thing that works really well in my relationship with an eight-year-old does not work as well with my relationship with my spouse yeah yeah you know the thing about Mark that I I think that I think I would have said that this would have been important to me, but I wouldn't have put it on a list. And now it's like the top most important thing. He's so reliable. Like I, I feel so, so safe with him. And I never realized before how much that's something that I need because there's so much in my life that I don't feel, I feel unsteady about. Like I, you said to me recently in an off the air conversation about how like I have, I feel like stuck and insecure at periods in my life, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing. Like I go through seasons of feeling stuck and unstable and insecure. And Mark is such an anchor to me, but you know what? I don't even know if I would have known how to quantify that before we got married. Like I, it's just a sense that I have now that like, do I, like I almost never, I, I actually never am like, man, I really wish that he like, you know, read poetry. I never wish that, but like I, always think oh my gosh I'm so lucky that I have somebody who I trust so deeply and so completely yeah and you know I don't I this is sort of I think it's I think that trust comes from this this feeling this feeling of um you and I both were people who had crushes that were like very intense and like in some cases relationships that were really intense yeah and, like I just were felt deep to, feelers yeah deep feelers and I felt like the need to talk about it all the time and like get all of my friends opinions about my relationships and whatever drama and, drama exactly and and even when it wasn't like particularly dramatic it was just like so I I don't know like I, I need you to know that I'm really excited about this I need you to yeah. know like I need you to know this that I think that I'm so happy or and I didn't feel and you didn't express to me those feelings when, when we met our spouses I think it was much quieter like it was sort of a at least for me it was very much of a feeling of calm 
and keep Oh, my gosh, yeah. It was like peace. a locking into place. Yeah, rather than being like, oh, my God, this is the most fiery, passionate thing. I can't believe. And, like, it's not that I didn't feel that way. It's that the overriding, um, the, the whole of it. The intensity was in. less. Yeah, because I knew it was, like, it was a smaller flame because it was going to burn longer, you know? Yeah. Not yeah, sm- no, smaller exactly. Smaller flame is not the right way to say that, but it was, like, no, a different no. flame. You know, well, it was and, blue and, and not red. To me, the flame was definitely smaller. Like the pains, the joys were not as I didn't get such an artificial high off of the joys. Like, look, Lauren, I mean, honestly, I think that there is a difference between a, a real high and an artificial high. And you can get a high from going on a run, but it certainly doesn't feel like doing a line of cocaine. <laughs> and one of them is a healthy and good high. And one of them is a bad high. OK, yes, <laughs> um, exactly. And, That's exactly the, what I mean. The high that I get from Mark is a runner's high. <laughs> right. So the ru- the highs are not as high, but the lows are certainly not as low. And and the highs are actually, like, real. And, and, and you know, a runner's high is, is better than a high from any kind of drug because it's, like, you know, authentically gained, you know? Yeah. So I think so, that that's a huge part of it, and that locks into that feeling of, like, reliability and the feeling of being able to commit Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think also there were things that I wanted before I got married that I did not, that I that I thought Mark didn't have, like qualities that I thought he didn't have. And then, bef- like, and then I was like, oh, well, I guess I just don't, those things don't matter to me. And then the more we've been married, the more I've seen that he actually does have those qualities. Like, for instance, he wasn't a reader when we got to, when we started dating. Um, also... I mean, like, Mark, notoriously so, was a registered Republican straight <laughs> ticket voter when we first got together, too. But, um, and that was another thing that I thought that I needed was somebody who shared uh, that. God, I thought I needed somebody who shared my politics in every single way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it what a surprise to me to find that somebody can share my values and not share my politics. You know, yeah. what a surprise. But he anyway, um he wasn't a reader when we first met and now he reads all the time. He's constantly reading. He reads more than I do. And so like, that is something that I thought I wasn't, you know, I, I was resigned to it, but I think it's also a lesson in like staying open to both how other people are and what you want, you know, like there's, there's different, I want different things now that I'm 29. Like when I was in college, I wanted, I, I was attracted to somebody who told me that they would rather live in a cardboard box under the bridge than stop writing poetry for a living. And I was like, into that. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not, you know, that's, there are no wrong ways. Well, there are some wrong ways. There are as many ways to live as there are people, as Old Gully says in Harriet the Spy. And that's, I'm not, there's not a passing judgment of like if you you want if you decide that poetry is more important than all the other things in your life oh totally it's just to me i've decided that like stability and financial stability is way more important than poetry and i'm surprised by that yeah 21 year old we would have been like you sold out (laughs) yeah i (laughs) I think the um the feeling that you're expressing about or, or i guess the just the the fact that Mark is reading now and he wasn't really a reader before, it really fits into your idea that you don't need a perfect partner, that you need a willing partner because the thing about marriage is that you learn to grow and change with that person. Yeah. And I know that like, we're just scratching the surface, you know, yeah. there's going to be so many things that we don't even see. see right. And that you talking about us scratching the surface is like, I think also being married is a, and being in a long-term commitment is a constant balance of, 
naturally seeing people as very two-dimensional, right? Like automatically seeing people as two-dimensional and then having to challenge yourself to see them as three-dimensional. And mm. when we think about the this these lists, which everybody has these lists in their mind, and like I'm not, like absolutely these lists are realistic and obviously you and I have these lists of like qualities we love now, qualities we loved, you know, thought we loved back then. But when we think about people in terms of lists, we're failing to see them as three-dimensional. And so when we talk about it in terms of like, over time, if you see somebody as a complex three-dimensional person, those lists really fade away, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, certain things are important, but ultimately, like, if you, I often think that if I saw Mark on Tinder, that I, I don't know if he, he's hot, but I think I would have swiped left if you he know said, Caitlin like, I voted for Romney. You know, Caitlin does not talk about uh, our, so Caitlin and I met on Tinder, and we, um, she, at the time we had, you could put five pictures on, and she swiped, like, she clicked on it, and as was her ritual, she looked at all five pictures, but she was going to swipe no until the fifth picture. And she can't even talk about that today because it scares her so much. She's like, I would have missed out on the love of my life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that is so crazy. Also, I cannot believe that four of your pictures she thought were not appealing yeah. to she her. She kind of looked like too much of a party girl. Oh, uh, well, you yeah. are incredibly social, but I think that maybe that, yeah. Yeah. Not a party girl, but, like, I can but, like, see how it I, could be interpreted like that. Am I going to, like, post a picture of me at home, like, drinking tea and watching Jeopardy at 7.30? No. <laughs> well, that would have been an immediate swipe right for your wife. <laughs> I know, it really would have. What was your last picture? Um, I was, it was actually a snow day, and I was at a, uh, I was drinking a margarita, like, in, but I was just wearing, like, a t-shirt and uh, my glasses, and I don't know, she just thought I finally looked like, oh, that's somebody I could, like, hang out with during the day. It wasn't, like, like, <laughs> That like, person comes out during daylight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's so funny how you're, how you came across on Tinder versus how you are in real life. Like, you are the most social person that I know, and yet, also, I would never say that you're a party girl, and also, I don't know if I have any pictures of you without alcohol in your hands, so I don't know <laughs> what to say about any of that. Well, that doesn't paint me in a great light. light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're the my favorite person to be around. So there we go. <laughs> there we go. That's all. That's all. Um, speaking of you and your person, um, do you have any other thoughts on Lane's question? Awesome question, by the way. Yeah, great question. Um, I, I don't. I do want to hear from other people because I think it's a fascinating question. So please write in at howdoispouse at gmail.com or message us on Insta or send me a Marco Polo and just let me know, like, what did were there things that you thought you definitely needed in your dating relationships or you thought that you needed in your partner and have they changed? Yeah. Is anybody's list exactly the same? I wonder. What, it could be. What do you mean? Like, is anybody's list exactly, does your your spouse exactly line up? Oh, they're the exact dating? person that you were looking for, yeah. I have a list from one of our friends, our mutual friends, in my wallet of what she that says that she wants in her partner. Mm-hmm. So one day when if and when they decide to, you know, make things permanent. I think we'll whip the list out. We can answer this question on a more more uh, direct basis. I love that. I love that. Let's keep us posted, Lauren. Yeah, I will. 
In the meantime, yeah. why don't you uh, tell us, fill us in on the State of Your Union. Yeah, quick note, we straight up forgot to have State of the Union last week. But you know what, we're going to go ahead and Insert joke about say, government shutdown here. Yeah, it was on Nancy Pelosi's recommendation. She just thought it wasn't right. <laughs> she didn't invite us. <laughs> she wanted us to suspend the State of the Union until the government was reopened. And here it is, reopened for, for now. some assholes who want to go to the Super Bowl. For for the next two weeks. So with that, weeks. what's the state of your union, Lauren? Oh, things are good. I am still fighting this student loan battle that I think is creating a lot of stress in my like right. personal financial yeah. life. Um, and Caitlin is still at grad school. We figured out that this Sunday was exactly three months to the day until her last day of school, which is oh. huge. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. So that's a huge light at the end of our tunnel. Um, it she has started the this last semester is the most semest, most intense semester of her practicum hours or her internship, whatever um, she calls it, and she is taking on twenty four hour shifts. Which as a nurse, we were really used to. Um, I was thinking about this on our our. Um, quality time episode when I was talking about being enmeshed and I think that so much of right. our relationship is because we never got to see each other for years while she was working night shift so I thought that this was going to be easier than it is but right. the 24 hour shifts are incredibly difficult because she has a lot of anxiety around I mean I would too because even if she doesn't have to be at the hospital if someone's not actively in labor she can be you know like she came Cold. with me to church she yeah. can't chill yeah, exactly. And so, like, she's just sitting there. She We ordered brunch the other day, and she had to get up and leave in the middle of it. And so that's been, I think, um, a challenge. But I have noticed growth in myself because I used to fight her shifts. I used to fight her, like, emotionally um, within myself, just, like, want to not deal with it. Yeah. Fight the idea that she was going to have to be leaving. And I think I've, be, I've been able to become more of, like the serenity prayer, accepting the things I can't change. And I know that if she's, you know, and with 24 hour shifts, it's like, I don't see her for two days, you know? Yeah. Oh um, my God, Lauren, I relate to that so much. Cause Mark for two years now, and I don't think he's not doing it this year, but for two years now, he was a track coach, a high school track coach in the Springs. Mm. And he loved coaching track. And then he would do these weekend track meets. And oftentimes like his track kids were really good, so oftentimes it would be, like, from January until literally, like, the last week of school, where every Saturday he would be gone, and I was so resistant to it, and we would get into these big fights about how, like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be around for my birthday, or for this big thing, like, he would, he missed a bunch of, like, he missed my birthday weekend in D.C. last year, you remember, Yeah, I did. and I was upset, I was really upset, I was, like, really emotionally fighting it, because I was, I was, like, because to me, my priorities, my coworker, my coworker Randy is the best, and he does not listen to this podcast because my my coworkers are not currently informed about this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. but my coworker is the best. Once one day they find it, um, and he's always talking to me about differences in like what we value and how people clash all the time because, and especially in couples, because. Mark and I might value, we might have the same choice, but he might value something more than I value something. And so to me, it's, it reads as him valuing track more than me, but what it actually is, is I'm more of a long-term game than track. He's made a commitment to track. He's made a long-term commitment to me. So in the long game, missing my birthday party once, you know, is not, and so that's just how he thinks in his head. But I've been trying really hard to like, like with his, if it was his job, 
I mean, and I guess it is because he gets paid to do it, right? So it is, right. and that's what he'll say to me. It is his job, but, yeah, but I, I have a hard time mean. overcoming it in my mind. Yeah, which I think is harder, too, with this 24-hour shift thing. Caitlin is not paid for this. Oh, my gosh. That's so, how, that is such, the idea that people get free work from students, from students who are almost 30 years old, is, like, exploitation. Well, so Sunday she left to go to, left from brunch, went to the hospital, and she was there laboring with a mama until, I think she delivered at, like, 9 p.m. or something, so Kate, or maybe 10 p.m. So Caitlin came home at around 11 and I had I stayed up because she te- texted me when the when the mom delivered and was like oh she delivered I'm gonna come home and I was like okay great then I went to sleep or I was like waiting for her to get home we she got home we went to sleep two hours later at one a.m. she got a call from the hospital again another mom had come in and so she had to get up and leave at one a.m. to go and and you know it's I'm so in awe of her dedication and her. You know, and it's the whining, yeah, and it's part of the job. The whining but like, that surrounds this whole situation entirely comes from me because I'm so struck yeah. by the injustice of her having to get up out of her warm, cozy bed at 1 a.m. to do something that we're actually paying for her to do rather than her getting paid to do something. Right. And like, I'm just, I don't know, she's just incredible. She's an incredible um, symbol of strength and, and just, I don't know, she knows how to like ha- have a job and do it in a way that yeah. I just don't think I will ever, ever comprehend. Yeah, she's really, well, to me, that is, I'll never care about a job, any job, enough to be willing to do that, you know? Like, that's, to me, I would rather quit and do nothing than wake up or be anxious for 24 hours, even though I love what I do, and, like, that's why I'll never do something that where I have to be on call. Like, there's, for me, I have a lot of boundaries about what, as a social worker, what I'm willing to do with my time. Well, and she's, um... Oh, shoot. Well, she has made some choices that hopefully in the long run, and, like, maybe she... Do, do you think she gets around it in her head by saying, oh. like, this is a short-term thing? Well, no, she's the acceptor and I'm the changer. You know how we ta- right. we discussed this? I don't know if we've talked about it on the pod. Just a quick little... Uh, side note. Side note. In um, serenity relationships... Does this come from Gottman, Katie? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Serenity prayers. Yeah. The serenity so, prayer relationships. In... Uh, relationships that follow this model there's one person that accepts things and one person that changes things and I'm the changer so I'm the person that's going to be negotiating which is why I am where I am with my student loans <laughs> like I just don't give up on things until they sort of fit what I need them to fit which is positive in some contexts and negative in others whereas Caitlin is the acceptor and this is the way things are it's the way things going are going to be and and she can recognize like in this particular situation that it's for a greater good but regardless she's much better at accepting things it is the way it is you and i have authority problems though like you and i (laughs) or we we believe in our ability to be the squeaky wheel yes yeah exactly yes anyway so what's the state of your union well um as as i say this it occurs to me how well remind me to come back to my thought my meta thought about this me and mark are doing pretty good right now so as our um employment status has changed from a one you know single earner household to a double earner household it has been a slow kind of like coming to understand that our life is a little different now and this week we had the first conversation about money that we've ever ever had where it wasn't one of us repenting for some financial sin or um us coming up with a plan on how we're gonna get by 
Yeah. It was the first conversation in our entire relationship where we discussed what we were going to do with excess funds. Right. And I, we've never ever had that because in our entire, I know, because in our entire relationship for two years we were together, but not really, our lives weren't bound together. And Mark saved a ton of money, you know, during those two years. Then, um, or prior to meeting me, he like, he always says that like he saved plenty of money before he met me, but, and, which is true, but it has nothing to do. Correlation is not causation. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then we lived together for two years and then I went to grad or when we were living together, I was in grad school and then he went to grad school. So we've always been in this situation. And so I, you have three months until you guys hopefully are going to be in a similar situation. And I just, from the other side of the the bridge, it feels like I almost wasn't gonna say it because I feel bad because I know how much pain and anguish you're in right now and like no, uncertainty it feels good and stability. Like knowing that this there's an end point. Good because it is. It was like you know that John Green quote about like falling in love from um from the Fault in Our Stars about it, it happens like sn- like like yeah, slowly and then all at once like snow once, or something. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, snow starts with one flake, and then all of a sudden it's a blizzard. That's not him. It's him quoting somebody else. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that's how the whole financial thing happened, is that Mark got paid, and it felt like nothing was different, and then all of a sudden, we could pay back a debt that we owe, and we could put some money into savings, and Mark and I could buy a couple, like, luxury items that we've been putting off buying for a little while, and we have a little elbow room, and, like, now we're going to go back to, you know living completely how we have always been living and hopefully achieve some of our goals in the next couple of years. And it just feels good to have a little bit of footing and like, it's coming for you too. And so it's just a reminder to me. Oh, so here's my, my thoughts. These are my meta thoughts on this one. It's just a reminder that everything is seasons and that when you're Mm -hmm. in it, it feels like this is how it is forever. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're having number one. What? They're all, the Duggars are always talking about their seasons of life. Here's oh, that's a season. That's a Christian thing. Uh-huh. Um, I in a lot of Christian circles, I've noticed that my my Christian friends or my friends that are versed in Christian like like buzzwords talk about seasons a lot. But I think it's very apt, and it's not a necessarily Christian thing. So this is during seasons of our lives. It's easy to think that that is the only season that we're ever going to be in, yeah. you know, and that it's surprising to me that spring has come in this regard and spring is coming for you is what I want to say. The second thing that I was going to say is it strikes me how much of the day to day life when we took, when we do this podcast, we're talking about like big issues, but then when we talk about the day to day stuff or the state of our unions, it almost always is about money. And I just think about like how much of our relationships are, well, it's like the number one financial management. Like we're fine. We're managing a small business being married. (laughs) Yeah. Katie, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I've never really thought about it until I realized that every week when I say, how are you and Caitlin? And you say, how are you and Mark? We were both like, oh, well, here's the status of our bank account. We're still broke. <laughs> still broke. Less broke than I used to be. Still don't have a house. Student loans. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. As you said, it's yeah. the affliction of our generation. Uh, yeah, it is. It really is. Um, yes. That's, I think that it, that really like resonates with me and I can't wait to like mull that over for the next yeah. week. Um, additionally, I want to recognize that Katie and I both have an immense amount of privilege that this is not that not something that we're anticipating having to deal with forever. But I think about that all the time. All of those, all of the families that are out there that are single income or don't have that, this is like life for always. Yeah, you know, it's it has like such an incredible, incredible, incredibly far-reaching impact on a person's health, on a person's right. mental health, on a person's physical 
um, and on their children and the way oh, that, totally. the development is is impacted. It's it's an unreal really to yeah. think about. And why are we like that as the richest nation? Well, at least the top two richest nations on the planet on the earth. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. We shouldn't be doing this. We, poverty shouldn't be as hard as it is. <laughs> right. I I'll never forget when in social work school, one of my super radical professors uh, told me that and I, I don't know the exact stats on this, but she said that um, we have more empty, vacant houses in this country than we do homeless families. And so if ev- if we gave every single vacant, like if we put a homeless family in every single vacant house in this country, we wouldn't have any more homeless families. That is and sickening. Isn't it pretty sickening? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I will say that, like, for folks like you and me, even though we come from a big place of privilege there, the anxiety is totally real, and I think yeah, it, is it is an important thing to remember that it's really healthy for you and me to remember that it's going to end, because I think people have a tendency to do this thing called, um, there's a word for this in Sanskrit, it's called prapancha, which mm-hmm. is when people, like, it's the tendency to, it means to proliferate, um, it's the tendency of the mind to kind of project a whole movie into the future about the current <laughs> emotional state. Wait, can you say the Sanskrit word again? Prapancha. Prapancha. P R A. That's me. All P A N C H A. Yeah. And when I first heard the word, I was like, "Holy crap! That is that is totally me." Because uh, and just knowing that it's a tendency, I will say to myself, "Oh, I'm doing that thing where I feel anxious, and so I just assume that this whole day is going to be a terrible anxious day." And then that immediately helps <laughs> me to remember that anxiety comes and goes, right? And like, so what it's helpful for folks like you and me who are in a place of privilege, where this being broke, we're broke. We're not poor. Um, That is temporary. So we can save the energy that we would spend being anxious and devote it to like lifting other people up. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? That is such a good point. And I think. So if you're looking for an excuse to stop the anxiety, there it is. (laughs) Um, Something I was thinking about today is that I think the most frustrating situations for me are because I'm always. I'm always in a state of Papuncha. Can you be in a state of Papuncha? Oh, yeah. No, I live okay. here. This is where I live. Yes. Address, so, 123 Papuncha Street. <laughs> then when, <laughs> so then when situations unfold that I saw, that I foretold the coming uh-huh. of due to just ang- anxious feelings. That you manifested through the behavior that you did in response to your emotion. Yes, and even yep. when I didn't. Then yeah. I just, I've played this weird, this weird game with myself where I'm like, well, I told you so. Yeah, where you're, like, proving to yourself that things suck. Who wins that game? Who wins that game? No one. Mm. Who is that asshole in your brain? I know. I have one of my patients. This is... This girl had a lot of funny sayings, and one of the things that she would say is she would talk to her inner voice, the the voice that says that, that, like, wants to play that game, and she would say in the mean girl's voice, you can't sit with us. You can't sit with us. I and that. I love that. She would be like, you can't sit with us. You're not allowed. Like, this right. is, you're not allowed at this table. That's or, like, the other be. way that I've heard of it is, like, that voice in your head has, like, literally never done anything good for you. <laughs> so, like, or literally never done anything. Worse. She yeah, doesn't it's, know it's, what she's talking about. She doesn't pay rent. She doesn't yeah. take your ass to work. She right. does not get an opinion. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, well, speaking of mental health, that is our topic for today. You ready to, to dive right in? I really am. So, but first, um, as we were saying before. But first. No, I was, I was saying I'm diving in but first. Because I couldn't remember. Katie oh. and I were talking before we started recording, and I couldn't remember about jumping in with both feet. So I just said I was jumping in with my butt. 
and oh yeah well you threw me off because i'm a i'm a big big brother head and um you know this about me and one Mm -hmm. of the things any of our listeners know on big brother that one of the hashtags is hashtag but first because julie (laughs) chen is always saying tonight there's a power of veto but first let's see what's going on in the house (laughs) so when you said but first i was like julie chen um i was distracted (laughs) add um, so anyway, many of our listeners may know that um, I am a clinical social worker and I spend my day as a therapist in a partial hospitalization clinic or in an outpatient mental health clinic. Um, and I do therapy in the partial hospitalization um, program there, which partial hospitalization, for those people who don't know, is um, a intervention level somewhere between outpatient therapy so what what I go to what a lot of you guys go to like a regular therapist you know once a week or once a month and inpatient therapy which is when you've had a crisis and you have to go to the hospital and get stabilized partial hospitalization is somewhere in between where I my shorthand is that I like to say that you're it's too dangerous to just keep you an outpatient but it's not necessarily a crisis level yet um, so oftentimes people will come, they spend six hours a day in the clinic with us. Um, and they spend, you know, the average stay is two to five weeks with us. So they oftentimes have to take a long time off of work and, um, it's, it's a lot. It's full-time work to be in, in partial hospitalization. It's full-time mental health recovery for three to four weeks. So I am really interested in mental wellness and, um, and helping people to learn how to deal with mental unwellness from a professional perspective. Um, And also, I am a person who experiences a lot of mental health symptoms. And my mental health is something that is um, a huge topic of conversation, both in my personal lives and in my marriage. And so I thought maybe some of our listeners would have similar experiences. Um, And even if it's not a huge topic of conversation in your marriages, I think it really should be. Um, And I'm hoping that even if it's not, that maybe we can encourage you to um, incorporate mental health into a regular conversation in your marriage. So that's kind of my background. That's why we wanted to choose this topic. But um, Lauren, I just wanted to kind of hear your, to the extent that you're comfortable sharing um, your mental health story and how like mental health shows up in your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I am actually the daughter of a social worker or a, a, my mom has a degree in, um, a master's degree in rehabilitation. So she has done a lot of counseling in her professional life. And I think in parenting, she instilled a lot of really healthy coping skills. Um, in at least I, I can say that from, I guess from usually when I'm stuck with something, I don't know what to do. Thinking about something my mom has said has, has been very, um, advantageous and given yeah your mom is sage she's got a lot of wisdom (laughs) yes she sure is um i frequently think about things your mom says yeah well and i I, that's huge and i think that has helped combat a lot of things that might otherwise send me into an anxious spiral or um you know i certainly i do think that i um have been blessed with overall just a pretty even keel emotional state Mm -hmm. um but when things when the going gets tough I think I definitely lean on the teachings of my very wise mom yeah um mental health has definitely been a an omnipresent factor in my life um in my own 
mental health status and then also with just the people that surround me and I've especially in the last year experienced a lot of very close people who have really come to a breaking point um which yeah. I think has been I think that's just a that is part of just living in this world are you caught up on the good place um, I'm not totally caught up on The Good Place okay, now. well then I won't go there because I don't want to spoil it for our listeners either. I'm even. a binger. Like, but, I have to wait till the season's over. Yeah, no, I get that. We, Caitlin and I were are just, we just started watching a season of something and then we realized it wasn't done and so we went back and watched it. <laughs> now we're going back to watch an old season so we can watch them yeah. all. But anyway, one of the themes this season is just the complexity of life. And one of the things that my mom is always saying is that we don't give enough um, space in modern day life for our mental health and the, the mundane things that we need to do to maintain our mental health. Oh my For God, example, so true. Sleeping regular hours, that's huge in the mental health world and getting um, a healthy diet and getting, uh, you know, eating healthy foods. Those things are things that we kind of, um, we don't make enough space for. We're busy as a society mm-hmm. and we, we give each other awards for that. Um, so I think that's just something that I've been really considering lately. Yeah. Yeah, the the basic day-to-day things that you do. The, the, mental health is not just something that you have or don't have. It's not that there's – we have – God, we have such a problem. I should say – let me pause before I speak, like, reactively to this. There's a lot of things that mental health treatment and the world of psychology and psychiatry gets right. And we have a – we're so fortunate to live um, in a – country that has a lot of access to a lot of things and that said we are so shamefully behind in so many places and so one of the things that's like a big like mistake is to think that mental health exists in some kind of like dichotomy where it's either you're mentally ill or you're mentally not ill and like that is not how it works it's it's all on a spectrum and you have to actually work for mental health and that has been a surprise for me that is not something I was not taught that as a child I was taught um I don't really know what I was taught but I know that I was not taught that I was taught that if I feel not necessarily to do anything about it Um, but to feel really bad for myself that I feel bad. And, um, it's been in my twenties that I've learned and I'm still in the process of learning how to heal myself and keep myself healthy. Yeah. You know, Caitlin and I quote you regularly because Katie and I once in a conversation about mental health, um, Katie said that, you know, that a person is not responsible for their, um, and, and, um, mental illness is not the right word not the right term to use but you're not you're not responsible for your predispositions to any any of a myriad of mental health challenges but you are responsible for maintenance yeah and so I think that's something that we keep in in mind a lot Caitlin and I do when we're talking about our mental states and our our, you know this particularly a particularly stressful time in life and I'm not I'm not responsible for the things the factors but I am responsible for keeping up with it yeah Yeah. well and I I mean to boil it down and like I I flat out said it to people and I think sometimes I I tend to develop really close rapport not close but like tight rapports with my patients um just because I'm sociable and so that allows me 
um, I'm fortunate enough that my ability to develop rapport with people allows me to give it to them straight sometimes. I guess they'd be a little more real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I will straight up tell somebody, like, look, it's not your, like, your trauma isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's yours now, and, like, you're stuck with it, and so you can, and, and that hurts, but what do you want me to, like, what is, the other, the other possibility there is that, for me at least, I can sit around and feel bad for myself about it. And I did for a really long time. And I still do sometimes. Like, that's a habit of mine is that I'm depressed and I think, oh my God, I feel so bad for myself. But I have to remind myself of the truth that I am actually like so much in some ways can, I have so much power in my life that I, I tend to discount when I'm feeling um, that. And I don't know, that's just something that I haven't. And in a lot of ways, that's something that my partner has helped bring to like light for me is how yeah. much I have power to maintain my mental health because he just kind of intuitively knows that he loves, he's one of those people that loves to exercise. And when he stops exercising, he notices how terrible he feels right. and his, that has just taught him about, about the importance of maintaining certain habits, which seems so mundane and silly. And like, of course we're not just saying if you are experiencing depression go out for a jog like that's not what oh gosh no <laughs> that's not what we're saying yeah I but like i'm saying to, that like for me you need to look at your health holistically right for me like an example of this is that this time or not this time last year but last okay. summer i believe on my the very first pod that we ever released was i talked about how i went off my meds and like that was right. really yeah. irresponsible of me and that's the fact that i I know, I know about how my, I have, um, a condition that is characterized by a lot of impulsivity <laughs> and I know that I can get impulsive and I know that when I'm not taking my meds that I am more likely to make impulse purchases or to make poor decisions or to speak out of turn or something like that. And yet I still went off of my meds. I am now therefore, in my opinion, therefore responsible for the behaviors that result as a result of my making the choice to go off my meds without the supervision of my doctor. That right. is my responsibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like knowing that for myself is so important in my marriage because it's, and I have this as like a, a tip that I share with people a lot. It is so important if you have somebody who struggles with mental health issues one way or the other to have boundaries in your relationship because Mark is not responsible at, at, at all in any way for the behaviors that happen in my, um, when I am not well, but it does affect him and I have to take responsibility for that. And so like, it can be really tempting for Mark to get involved in my business. Um, and so one of the things that's really challenging in marriages is when it comes to supporting or in long-term relationships, when it comes to supporting each other's mental health, crossing over boundaries and becoming somebody's therapist instead of somebody's spouse, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or somebody's coach or their teacher instead of their spouse. And so that's a, like holding that line is challenging work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Katie, I can't remember if we talked about this on the pod or off, but have you, have we talked about the river um, idea. Oh, the, the oh idea gosh, I cannot, I cannot I remember if we've talked about the river, but it is worth bringing up really again because it. it is so worth it. Especially when you're dealing with your partner's mental health. Yeah, yeah. Do you, can you explain it? Yeah, okay, and I will, and that's a good lesson, then you can see if I got it right or wrong. Okay, yeah. so the idea is, like, for this specific example, we'll take... You're such um, a teacher. 
yeah. I'm assessing you right now to yeah. see what how good you are at learning. I do, you do, we do. Or I do, we do, you do. Actually, <laughs> that's not best practice anymore, as all the other teachers okay. know. Anywho, so there is the idea that you, you're, well, okay, so if Caitlin's emotional status or mental health status is a river, I can stand in the river with her and that's what uh, as a partner you might be inclined to do is to go stand in the river with her and be feel the current of all of the debris washing by us thinking um all of these things are coming at us and we have to both feel these things together and actually you are no help to that person if you're standing in the river with them really Mm -hmm. what what you need to consider is just that you're standing on the bank and if i'm standing on the bank and watching this emotional current flow then i am more likely to be able to send out a buoy and 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 um and help a or b Mm -hmm. just acknowledge that that person is there and that's what they're feeling and and letting them be there and feel that as long as it's in a safe space um, Mm -hmm. which a river is not really that safe but (laughs) go with the metaphor If, if if that's her emotional mental status for that moment i don't have to feel that Right, and being an right. empath, I think that's a thing that I usually, I very much struggle with. I really need Caitlin to feel like okay all the time, or that's what I want, and that's not realistic. Right, right. Well, you did a really, really good job, and I'm gonna just like elaborate on that a little bit because I think that the metaphor is helpful in a number. Like the the whole idea is the idea of like um, a compassionate detachment, so that you are observing Caitlin's emotional process instead of getting involved in it. So you can say, like, literally saying to yourself or whoever, whoever your partner is, literally saying to yourself, uh, "Mark is really stressed out right now." Like, yeah. Mark is experiencing anxiety. And instead of getting, like, getting freaked out about it yourself. So the idea is that, the metaphor is that, like, if you are in a river that is just flooded with debris and the river is rushing and the debris is hitting you, and that's what it feels like when you have really intense anxiety, right? Like, when you're completely emotionally flooded. And if I were to say to you, like, all right, now I want you to, like, figure out a way to get yourself out of the river and, like, you know, navigate the debris and don't hit anything that's going to hurt you or whatever, it would be incredibly difficult to do so. Because you're so overwhelmed, you're so caught up in it. Right. So one of us, a, a skill of, um, I mean, to be honest with you, I think one of the most important skills that anybody can learn, like in their lives, let alone in therapy, is the ability to develop an observing ego, which means to pull yourself psychologically, pulling yourself out of the river and standing on the river bank and watching the river instead of right. being in the middle of it, doing it for yourself also do it for your partner right like you can do it for your partner and yourself and and i think when it comes to so i what we're talking about right here is the difference between being a supportive partner and codependency and when it comes to relationships where one or both partners well pause for a second and let me define some terms here yes let me define some terms so the way that I, I'm going to talk about the terms that I use, the verbiage that I use, the language that I use. Language is not perfect. Um, language is incredibly limited. So everybody uses different language to, with something as fluid and as personal as mental health. A lot of people use different language, but I'm going to use the language that I use with my patients. So I talk, everybody has mental health, right? Like it's just like having physical health. What's, how right. is your health doing? How's your mental health? I like to think about it as mental wellness or mental unwellness because I think that um, you talking about, oh, I'm having a bad mental health day or like I have a mental, you know, saying that person has mental health problems is a little bit, um, I don't know, it just doesn't feel accurate to me. Mm -hmm. But then I also think there to me is a difference between 
chronic mental health problems or chronic mental unwellness that results in a diagnosis. And to me, diagnoses are just shorthand and um, flare ups of pretty of of emotional distress that are very common. Um, And so I think about it like the um, have you ever heard about the climate versus the weather metaphor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that a person's overall mental state is like the climate. Um, Every like a person can have kind of a mental climate and the weather in their climate. So everywhere, if you just have a generally kind of sunny climate, it's prone to storms occasionally. But even if you have, a, you know, a pretty rainy, cl- a rainy climate, it's prone to sun eventually. Um, but generally speaking, climate to me, I think of more as like the people, people with really stormy climates are the people that come into my program. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people that are comfortable using the phrase mental illness because that is what it feels like to them. But I will say that there is a difference between a, a chronic, persistent, serious mental illness that requires um, heavy monitoring and um, consistent care, like maybe somebody with um, schizophrenia. Like I have, a, I have a family member with schizophrenia who requires supportive care and stuff like that versus somebody who has... Um, um, you know, situational depression two or three times over the course of their lives, both can affect relationships differently is what I'm getting at. Um, does that make sense? What I'm trying to say is that like in a relationship where somebody has something that needs a lot more hands-on management, there's a higher chance for codependency, um, whether it's an addiction or a serious mental illness, um, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or something that isn't very well managed. Um, it's important that both partners are taking um, consideration to to not fall into the roles of like the the comforter and the patient, um, right? Because both people that then you're doing you're falling into that kind of therapist patient role, you know, or therapist patient dynamic, um, as opposed to a spousal dynamic. And I'm yeah, and it's a hard what? balance to strike. I would branch out well to I two immediate responses. The first is that that's what Caitlin was saying about what she needed. In, that what surprised her about what she actually needs in a marriage mm-hmm. you know it just like not always being not always being the supporter of that person yeah <laughs> yeah so I think that's really relevant oh drink and yep oh my dog's drinking part, I your dog's drinking <laughs> you that's that. right not <laughs> um, thank you neighbors I'm, for walking I'm, in the hall <laughs> yeah right um and the second thing is that I think that this is also very important in friendships or in, in other kinds of relationships. Totally. You are, you are, well, you, Katie, are someone's therapist, but you, as the general, you are not anyone's therapist. And yeah, that's it, really it hard. It's very tempting to, feel, to, to want to fill that role, especially when it's someone that you love and care about. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to recognize that one of the biggest reframes for me is that well, first of all, I say all of this as somebody who counsels people, but also as the person in my relationship that has the bigger struggles with emotional regulation. Um, and that is, I am the person who needs tended to more with my emotions. Um, I definitely suffer from depressive symptoms. Um, I have diagnosed ADD. Um, also, I've noticed, I mean, my just like a lot of people, my depression, I have depression and anxiety and they're like kissing cousins and they just like, it's like they fluctuate back and forth between each other. Kissing Sometimes cousins, I get so, wow. I, I, I get really, huh? Kissing, <laughs> kissing cousins. cousins. Yeah. It's a little passe. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so I'm the one who's like a little bit, so all of this is to say like boundaries are really important for Mark and they're really important for me because if I become dependent it doesn't do me 
any favors to rely on Mark to serve my emotional needs. Because what if, like, first of all, what if worst case scenario? But second of all, the amount of growth that I have done and the amount of amount of gratification that I have gotten from working on my own, you know, and from, from Mark is certainly my support and he will sit there and he will listen to me, but he is not, he certainly will not enable me. Like he will not enable me. He does yeah. not, <laughs> he, Which, especially when I do ADD shit, he does. important partner trait you probably didn't know you needed. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I get frustrated about it because I really wish that he would, would enable me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I really wish that he would, but yeah. like, if I do something like, like, he doesn't think it's cute when I pay for something and then I forget about, like, I pay for an appointment and then I forget about going. Like, he doesn't think that's cute. And yeah. and he's not rude to me about it. He's understanding, but he holds me to a high standard, right. you know? And, and that is really because important to me. Because he is more invested. That's know, true. On a day-to-day. And, and probably also just because of the person that Mark is. But this yeah. gets back to our discussion of what, we were, what we're willing to hear from our partners that we may not be able to hear from other people. Yeah, that's well, and you and I talk about that a lot that so here's another part of this is that in a relationship in a marriage where there's um, whether there's climates or weather that can be stormy, you want to make sure that there is trust before you offer certain types of support, meaning that like you um, for me, at least. I, Mark has to really, like, we have to be in a really safe place for Mark to be able to give me critical feedback, um, because he also recognizes that, um, he, oh, and here, I mean, here's something key about it. I'm kind of fumbling through this, but here's something key about it. It's, he knows me well enough to know what is helpful and what is not helpful. And I know Mm -hmm. him well enough to be able to trust that he knows that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So, like, you... I think that it's extremely important to be very, um, I I don't know, more like a, a, it's better in a relationship to be like a supportive presence than a counselor, in my Mm -hmm. experience at least. Yeah, I think that's very difficult for people who, I don't know if this is difficult for you, but but I have, I think I struggle with that in, in lots of personal relationships, in my, in my marriage and then also in my friendship relationships, I feel like I often try to fill that counselor role when it's not always necessary. Well, and so part of the reason why I say this too is that for you, you are a supporter. And like in our relationship, I have it's not like you haven't had your storms, but like I would you would you say that out of the two of us that I like am more um like chronically symptomatic? <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know that I would. I think only because, not only because, especially because I think that you and I are very good at talking things through. And I think that, I think outside of my spouse, you're probably the person I could hear things from the best. Yeah. So I think that, I don't know, I think usually, and I think vice versa, I would hope. That's true. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when we we have a way of talking to each other where I don't feel like I'm your counselor, I more just feel like a sounding board, you know? Right, and also you counsel me. Well, you, I I think that part of what makes our ability to support each other while also providing counseling to each other, because I I certainly think that I seek counsel from you in like a 
old person, I go to I go to a member of my bridal party for counsel about my marriage kind of a thing. Um, but I, because I think that that's like an antic, I think that's a cutesy way to use that word. But I think that, I think that one of the things that makes that functional for us is that we both really list, take each other's feedback in stride and we don't get attached to the outcome of how the other person exactly. takes it or not. And we also, I think, have very good boundaries in terms of, like, if you call me, like the other night when you called and I couldn't answer, I knew that you were going to be okay because I knew I needed to put my attention elsewhere, you know? I have, I'm having a really hard time even remembering what it was that I called you about. It, it was just something that was going on. And, and Obviously, I'm okay. Life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it was one of those things where it's like, with some Oh, I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember, I yeah, remember. that I saw you calling, and I was like, I know this is not about the podcast, because it's kind of like a weird time, and like, I, I knew that you probably, and I was like, if it's a huge thing, and you text me about it, then I will, of course, call you, but I think that's, it was like a conscious decision that I was like, you know what, actually... I mean, I was doing something else with Caitlin, and she was not feeling really well, and so I was like, I'm going to put my attention here. Yeah. If Katie really needs me, if it surpasses, like, a certain, then she'll let me know. But I was able to just say, like, hey, like, you know, I'm busy and doing this right now, but, you know, X, Y, Z, and you were like, yeah, no, it's good, like, we'll talk later, and, and it was okay. Like, I knew you were going to be okay. Right, So I yeah. think for that reason, I don't ever feel like, I don't know. I don't know. Do well, you feel like you are more emotionally, um... Oh, uh, yeah, oh my gosh, more totally. Stories? Yeah. Oh, I feel like I have a, I feel like my climate is pretty stormy actually. Although in my time, there's been some climate change in my brain, uh, in the past, in the past several years, um, for the better. Um, we've, I don't want to extend that metaphor. I feel like I want to make that a long joke and I don't have to, um, I'm going to resist the urge. Um, yeah, I, I feel that you saying that is a lesson to me that oftentimes how I, it is always a lesson to me that I do not come across the way that I feel internally. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I remember once at my old job asking one of my old coworkers, like, can you tell what a fucking disaster I am? And she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I thought I truly believed that everybody was like whispering about how I was falling apart at the seams. And Which when is, she said, it's probably a blessing and a curse that you don't always project like, the whatever storm you're feeling inside. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because I'm capable of communicating it, but, like, I can drop that anxiety. Like, I, I already have the pain of, like, being stormy on the inside. I can drop the secondary pain of, like... Everybody else being worried that it. people can tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that's that's pain I can give back for free. Um, so, but I do, I definitely think that out of the two of us, I have, but maybe I, I also think of myself as having... Um, I, in a lot of ways, I think of myself as having, like, a, a troubled childhood, which is so silly, because uh, I did not. I had two parents who totally loved me. I This is all... Uh, this podcast is not for me processing my, my own experience, but I'm, like, I'm realizing the narrative that I've told myself is not necessarily the true narrative as we're talking about this. But I will say that, like, I do feel... I tend towards emotional drama. That's what I'll say. I tend... Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. I, I'm an emotionally, and I think that everybody who listens to this that loves me will agree with that, that I tend towards emotional drama. I am learning to tone it down, but because I tend towards emotional drama, I often feel that I need people. And it has been so, honestly, Lauren, if you, if I didn't have people like you who I trusted, and I know that if I needed you, you would call me, you would return my call in a Absolutely, moment. Yeah. I, know, I know that deeply in my heart. So when you don't answer on a night where I feel like I really need you and you don't answer, 
I, I know that you're probably saying to me, think about this if you really need me. And then I think about it and I say, do I really need her? And then I say, actually, I don't. I can handle myself. And what a gift that I have the opportunity to step back and think, Can do I have an opportunity to handle this on my own? And that is how we get stronger. That is how we get to healing. We change the habitual habits. And if we don't have people in our lives that lovingly set boundaries with us, we aren't really able to change and our habits. So all of this is to like say mindfulness to me. Oh, I mean, girl, mindfulness has changed my life uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to so set boundaries. If you are hesitating and you think that you are responsible for your loved ones, like loved ones' mental health or your loved ones' emotional status, unless you are the one that is responsible for that, like unless you are actively hurting them, <laughs> yeah. then like release that and don't feel bad about it because it's a gift to them. You yeah. know. In yeah. some ways. Maybe yeah. that's too Pollyanna. Been a big, no, I don't think so. I think that's been a big theme. I think it just around my life, life this week. That people who don't have the opportunity, and people, in, in my case, it can be children, and then also just seeing young adults, like right. people in our generation, and then seeing even the generation older, people who have not had to deal with things, challenge like challenging things, but basic life um, troubles yeah it's a gift and this is a very glennon doyle like way of thinking just the idea that it's a gift to allow a child to struggle through things with the with the message being this is hard and i'm here for you but i'm gonna let it i'm gonna let you sit in this hard thing like isn't that basic attachment theory that like as long as they have a secure the whole point of having a secure attachment is so that they can venture out into dangerous situations safely yeah, <laughs> you and know? people who don't have that, and and I work with those people, you work with those people at a different point in their lives. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, uh, people, People's mental health is a, is a multifactorial equation. But I yeah. can see kids whose parents really try hard, and I know it comes from a place of love, to tr- really try hard to, like, to mow the lawn so that they never have to walk over a stick, you know? Yeah. And, and those kids don't have the opportunity later on to they don't have they don't have the low stakes problem solving when they're young to be able to solve higher stakes problems as life gets more and more complex. Yeah, yeah. And in my relationship, you and I once had a really good conversation on <laughs> this is on the uh, spousing um like what do they call it the like cutting room floor or whatever oh, uh, the very yeah. first episode we ever yeah. recorded was like kind of a mess because it was the first one we ever did so we'd never posted it but it's kind of a shame because we had this awesome conversation about anxiety because Mark was going through a period of really intense anxiety and I was really struggling with taking it on and like wanting to be code wanting to fix it for him and the thing that here's oh guys listeners boys and girls pull your chairs up and listen to a story of codependent (laughs) behavior Mark is anxious about school thank god school is over for now he will one day have to go back and complete his master's degree that day is not today nor is it tomorrow but he was very anxious about things like writing papers and stuff like that i'm great at writing papers i would love if he's super worried about papers then that's fine i will write his whole paper for him i'll write the entire thing i'll do all the research i'll slap it all together i will turn it in and he'll get an a I literally would do this. I would I would offer to write his papers or I would sit down and do all of it because to me, the emotional anguish that he was going through, I wanted to just fix it, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. you really encouraged me to like let him sit in that anxiety. He he is safe to feel that anxiety because I will never leave him. I he can sit there and be anxious and self-soothe and work through that on his own while I'm in the next room. <laughs> you know? Yes, so. exactly. Exactly. 
Well, I have one or two yeah. more things that I want to say um, before we wrap this up. So the first thing is that in whether or not there's somebody who's struggling with a with something um, that's chronic or short short term, um, no matter what you should prioritize emotional health in your relationships. And so mental health is intimately tied up with emotional and behavioral health. Um, Emotional health being like the ability to talk about feelings and the ability to communicate and the ability to set boundaries. Behavioral health being like habits and um, uh, ways that we respond when we're angry and things like that. All of these things are intimately wrapped up with mental health. But... um, are probably better set for like a deep dive on another day. I just wanted to note that, um, that we're kind of like just talking generally. The other thing that I wanted to say is that in my, um, work, I have a, or like a, a resource that I've created that I give out to people about how to communicate, um, about mental health with the people in your life. So, um, it's kind of a guideline, like general tips, um, and a guideline for more specific tips on how to communicate with your spouse, your children, your friends, and your employer. Um, like just some things to keep in mind. So we'll put a link to, um, some some helpful tips for how to communicate with people in your life about mental health um in our show notes for you guys i I think that's gonna be really awesome i can't wait to look through those through through those myself yeah it's my patient's favorite group they are always like completely riveted because they like nobody knows how to talk about or like how do we know how to do these things unless we've been taught you know what i mean i know i think it's one of those things i'm really i honestly am very excited to look through these things independently kind of gather my thoughts on them and probably send them send them to caitlin although she won't read them because grad school um and then just kind of (laughs) she's like over the reading yeah too as a as a team and talking about what are we going to do about our individual health as as individuals and then also as a partnership and then eventually as parents how do we help Yes. Um, or what do we, well, how do we impact mental health in our children? Well, that is the most important thing. And like one of the, one of the tips that I have, you know, that Mark and I are super into like cultivating habits now so that our children can adopt them later. Like Mark is reading yeah. and I'm try I always am trying to eat better and make cooking at home more of a priority. So one of the things that I always tell people, cause folks will come in to see me for the partial program who have like seven and eight year olds that are like noticing that mom or dad is gone for four weeks but have no clue what's going on and they're old enough to know what's, you know, they're old enough to have a conversation about this. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that the very first point that I have on this handout that I'm going to post for you guys is when you are talking to your child about your mental health, you are also modeling an attitude of non-judgment. It is important for your child to see that it is okay to talk about mental health in your household. And like, it is so important. And because even if you're and obviously you know say things in an age-appropriate way but having open honest discussions about them if I had known and and to be honest my mom didn't know this and so it's not her fault she didn't know this at the time and I don't even know if her therapists knew this at the time this is kind of cutting-edge information even it's also like ancient information but like therapists weren't teaching it until very recently that if I had known that like feelings of depression come and go and that feelings of anxiety come and go and that like I don't have to believe my thoughts oh my god how my life would have been changed and I could have understood that at eight years old so start the habit now you guys talk with your partner now the other thing is that you always want you want to talk about it now 
before it becomes a problem, what your plans are, stuff like that. I know there's a whole new thing about um, like psychiatric advanced directives. If you have psychiatric needs in your family, look into that, you know, or in your relationship, in your marriage, look into psychiatric advanced directives. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Those are, there's just a lot that people don't know about how to be in a relationship with someone who has a mental health problem. Yeah, I re- I wouldn't necessarily recommend this in this unless you're a fan of this person's work. But uh, Hannah Hart's biography, uh, Buffering, address- addresses the idea of um, advanced directives for family members with severe mental illness. Um, yeah, and it's a very inter- it's specific to her her situation, as is a lot of the story and research. That as is a memoir. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But it's still, it was still very eye opening. Yeah, yeah. And it can be important to have because, like, if you are somebody who, you know, that can be a loving act. If you are the person who might need that advanced directive, it might be a loving act for you to initiate that conversation with your partner and take a stress off of their shoulders, you know. I I think a lot about how Mark's desire, Mark's willingness, again, with the perf- perfect partner and the willing partner, Mark's willingness to be there for me with my mental health and my storms and my climate um, is really what I need. But he also has no idea how to be sometimes. So a lot of times he just shuts up. And when I have the knowledge, it he's always so relieved when I'm able to share it with him. Like if I yeah. send him, there's actually a whole blog out there for how to be married to a person with ADD. And I'll send him articles sometimes and I'll be like, do you relate to this? And, and like, he's like, yes. Yeah, he's like walks into the kitchen to every single door open in the entire kitchen. And like yeah. that's on, in some ways when I'm feeling good, I'm happy to take responsibility for educating him about what's going on with me. He doesn't know. So anyway that's that's that we'll we will certainly do a parts two three and four at some point yeah i think that would be really interesting and i think that i also am curious to know what our listeners experiences are with um obviously you don't have to get into your personal health history but i am curious how do you feel about your mental your mental health your partner how do you best support your partner and how do they yeah how they interrelate um and those are things i'd really love to address in another episode yeah Oh, totally. And also, like, I want to get back into that idea of emotional health because emotional health is totally separate from, like, mental health the way that we think about it and, like, mental mental wellness and, like, the, the medical industry of mental health. And... Every single relationship that is that involves a living human being has like, emotional health issues. Like squares and rectangles. Yeah, it, they you are know? squares and rectangles. Right. Emotional health is part of mental health, but mental health is not part of emotional health. Right. And it, a lot of people or believe that, person. like, emotional health isn't important and, like, those relationships don't do very well. So I can speak I, – my, my, my parents were in one of those and they got divorced. So, so um, we – I can't wait to do a deep dive. Yes, absolutely. A deep dive. I love it. Uh, okay. What are you so, into this week, Lauren? Uh, I am still nursing the the big hole, the gaping wound in my life that is left by the absence of having finished Orphan Black. Um, honestly, truly one of the best TV experiences of the last 10 years of my life, easily. Um, so if people have some recommendations that are, are similar, my, my qualifications, I can handle. So I, I need it to be female-driven. I need, like, probably a female central character um, those, are, those are the things I find myself most captivated by. I can handle a certain degree of violence for a very well-crafted story. I'm not a Game of Thrones person. It 
was too violent. It was and not, the story not is too me. convoluted. Yes, exactly. I, I I can do a certain degree of science fiction, but the characters need to be grounded. So anyway, this is my my all call to you. What should I watch? Um, but have in you watched the interim, Dairy Girls yet? Um, I'm I'm watching Dairy Girls. It's such a tone shift from Wharf and Black that mm. I haven't like really deep like I haven't really like like jumped yeah, all the way in shift. yet. It is a tone um, shift. Yeah, so I'm looking for another like drama thriller type. Uh, character driven. She's already I watched loved, Killing Eve. I loved Killing Eve. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Cannot wait for the second season. I anticipate that it's coming for us in the next few months. So anyway, give me a recommendation. Have you, have you tried to watch Jessica Jones? I know you're not like oh. super into comic books. No, I did watch the first episode and I actually was compelled. That's dark and female driven. Yes. We also started Broad Church. Um, which is oh my god, I thought you were going to say Broad City, and I was like, oh my god, oh, new season's so good. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so it's not on Hulu yet. I'm so, like, I need to just figure out. I guess I, I could download the app. The, I got the hookup. I, Central. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, you it's just let me the, know. The hookup's the Comedy Central app, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got that. I can it's, that. it's an application. I don't know if you've it's heard an, of those. <laughs> I don't know if you know about this. It's, like, really hip. Like, <laughs> but wait, okay, so what I am going to recommend this week is um, the RBG documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, that was um, good. It was excellent. It was it's very well-crafted. You watch her journey through her court cases from even before when before she was a Supreme Court justice all the way through today. Um, I was very struck by this, this woman and, and her morals, the way that she stuck to um, Clinton actually heavily advised her not to bring up uh, the, the abortion issue during her confirmation hearings. This was in 1993, which it's still such a hot button issue, but even then, um, and it's just, it just her moral standing and the way that she was able to, um, very, uh, without getting into, um, the hot water, just to boil down the, the reason that reproductive choice is so important in the mm-hmm. fight towards equality for women. Um, that was huge. And her just genius, her her legal genius and in, in the way that she brought cases, because she brought cases, five, I think, cases to the Supreme Court, and she won four out of the five cases that she brought um, before she was a Supreme Court justice. And um, you can just see why. The threads yeah. really knit together in this very beautiful way. So anyway, I highly recommend that RBG documentary. I know there's another... Um, it's not a documentary. It's like a narrative film that there that came out around the same time. Yeah, um, on like I, ne- Netflix or something maybe. I don't know. I saw it at my um, at the Narrow, which is like an independent theater. I didn't see actually see the movie, but I just saw that they were playing it. So mm. I haven't watched that one yet. So if you've seen that and you liked it, let me know. Um, but RBG, I can uh, I can um, recommend in good faith. That's awesome. Good. I I can't wait to watch that. That'll have to be something that Mark and I watch we watched black Klansmen. uh did you see, did you see black Klansmen? no um i'm just thinking about the only reason i'm bringing it up is because i'm thinking about movies that were like big that won awards or that are like winning awards this year i i didn't love it i i'm not i guess i've decided i'm not a spike lee fan i like listeners who are into film come for me please i don't know like i but um i will say <laughs> mark loved it i will say the end had a scene like had footage from Char- like the Charlottesville riots and it was like th- three minute montage of like super graphic footage that I was not mm-hmm. expecting like out of nowhere it came at the end yeah. and it was probably the only time in my life that I had wished that I had had a warning before something yeah. um 
And it was really jarring. And I told Alex, I told my friend Alex about it. And he said that when they showed Black Klansman in Charlottesville, that they actually did show a warning before the movie. Wow. Um, which I, that's yeah. Important. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, so I am like off of like arty movies for right now because I was super, yeah. just, I've been watching just Friends ever since Yeah, that. yeah. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. Um, so this week I've got two kind of small recommendations. The first is, um, I hesitate to recommend this because I, I can't endorse a hundred percent of what she posts, but I've been following this Instagram account for some time now that I really love. It's, um, speaking of mental health, it's the holistic psychologist. Her name is Dr. Nicole LaPera. She is a psychologist out of, um, she, the Philadelphia area, actually, and she has, like, a pretty thick Philly accent, which I find to be delightful, but um, she, it's the period holistic period psychologist on Instagram, and she just posts so much really interesting information about the mind-body connection, um, mm-hmm. and you know that I, Lauren, that I've been getting increasingly interested in the mind-body connection and the relationship between yeah. how we treat our bodies and how it affects our mental health. And this woman just really speaks a lot of really interesting um, wisdom in that area. Um, Some of what she gets into is a little bit woo-woo for me, and I'm, like, open to it being, like, real. Um, But also, it's not for me at this point in my journey. But I find myself, like, going back and rereading her Instagram posts and, like, waiting every day for her stories and stuff like that. So the holistic psychologist on Instagram... And the second recommendation that I have is, um, I claimed this. So everybody knows that Lauren and I subscribe to John, um, John Gottman's, the the Gottman Institute's newsletter, Marriage Minute. And last week they gave a really good piece of advice, which was that when your partner, and this ties in with today's theme, when your partner is going through it, going through something, you should ask them, instead of trying to fix it or just jumping in or volunteering to solve a problem, ask them, how can I support you? And um, it reminds me of what Brene Brown says, which is, what does support look like right now? And I just love, I love that. And it's a good reminder to do that, not only with your partners, but also family members and friends. Um because oftentimes the way that people want to be supported is really different than how we want to support them. And the way we want to, the way they want to be supported is often way easier than what we were going to do. Yes! So, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. It's often so much easier to just like be there for someone than it is to yes. like fix their problems again with the boundaries. Yes. <laughs> if everybody yes. just was responsible for themselves, we'd all be happier. It's way easier. Yep. Mm-hmm. We'll so, have spoons for other things then. I'm saying I'm all about the spoon preservation these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's it for this week, Lauren. Um, did so. we spouse? Yes, we did. But before we spouse, oh, before wait. we put a button on the spousing, make sure you find us on Instagram at oh, that's how right. do I spouse. Um, please rate and review our podcast, and we'd love to have you recommend it to people if you're enjoying it. Um, yeah. And email us all of the questions that we asked you throughout the course of the episode, including how do you view mental spouse, uh, mental, mental spouse. <laughs> Mental spousing. And mental spousing. Yeah, how do you do your mental spousing? I'm sticking with it. I just want to know about your personal experience with the intersection of mental health and marriage or mental health and long-term relationships. Yes, and also I need a recommendation for something to watch on TV because I really miss Tatiana Maslany. That's actually the most important part of all. That's really the most important thing I need from you. Um, Okay, and we love you all and Katie. And I I love love you. you. And I think we spoused. I think we did it. Love you. Love you. Bye.